All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to see you this morning here at um, Redemption Church. My name is Reggie, and uh, I am um, one of the pastors, one of the elders here at Redemption Church. And this morning, we're going to start a series um, that we typically do in the month of August. So sort of coming out of the lull of summer, uh, which maybe we're still in that lull a little bit, but as school uh, starts back up and things get back to a normal rhythm. Uh, over the past few years, in the month of August, we've set the month of, of August aside specifically to talk through um, the purpose, vision, and mission of Redemption Church. Um, if you have your bulletins in front of you, on the very front of your bulletin, down at the bottom in orange, uh, we have our purpose, vision, and mission written there. Uh, we say our purpose is gospel community mission, vision to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus and mission to bridge barriers to the gospel through rhythms of practical biblical teaching, practice spiritual disciplines, relationship building, and personal service. So like I said, over the next few weeks, we'll sort of dive into each of those areas on Sunday morning. And very specifically this morning, um, we'll be talking through our purpose uh, to some extent, gospel community mission. And last year, uh, if you were around last year, you'll remember that we talked a good bit about getting on the bus. Um, that was sort of the tagline for what we talked about in the month of August. And this year, uh, our theme and what you'll hear over and over over the next few weeks um, will focus on calling us as a church and as individuals to rearrange our entire lives around what God is at work doing in our church, in our city, in our families, and all around us. And so that's what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. And so naturally, the place where we go to talk about the gospel and what God is doing all around us is the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. But let's pray before we start there. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be here this morning. Thank you that we've already heard from your word um, as we sang, as we read your word together, as we prayed together. And God, over the next little while, as we continue to dive into your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would draw us to yourself. I pray that Jesus would be lifted high, even as we talk through the book of Habakkuk, that we might be drawn to you and to you alone. God, I pray as I stand up here and talk, I, I recognize that my words are of little importance, but God, we recognize that your words are of utmost importance. So God, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of the gospel, an instrument of grace, of your love and mercy, that we might hear from you and hear from you alone. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We live in a pretty confused and messed up world. I think we all can agree to that, or I hope we would all agree to that. Not, not that it's a good thing, but all around us, we've seen the rise of some pretty terrible religious factions internationally and political environments that have led to countless deaths, countless destruction. On a daily basis, we hear stories of um, terrorist attacks and terror groups wreaking havoc all across our world, in Europe, in the Middle East, and Southeast Asia, and Africa, and all over the place. We just hear terrible stories on a daily basis. Here in the U.S., we're in the midst of a political election cycle that is almost a circus um, to a certain extent. And over the past few weeks, we've seen the ongoing need for racial reconciliation in our nation and our churches. 
in our world, and we've seen the need to, to love our neighbors who live different lifestyles than we do. We've seen a very confusing and violent and tumultuous world. It's been that way over the course of the summer and even before that. And more than once, it's led me to say, Jesus, when are you going to come? When is your peace going to be known across the world? Come, Lord Jesus, bring your peace and bring your reconciliation to our world. And so with the world that we live in, and with the desire to see God do something about the awfulness around us, it's not really entirely dissimilar to what the prophet Habakkuk faced when he wrote the book of Habakkuk. So let's dive into the book, right? Let's spend some time in the book of Habakkuk this morning. It'll be the jumping off point for what we talk about this morning and for the coming weeks as well to see gospel truths, to see what the gospel has to say about what life um, looks like when the world around us is just in uh, a disastrous state. Let's, let's dive in and see gospel principles in light of what God would have us hear. So the book of Habakkuk is a small book in the Old Testament. It's three chapters long. Habakkuk is called a minor prophet. Um, he's called a minor prophet because of the size of the book is only three chapters. He's grouped with some other um, prophets known as minor prophets as well. And just to set the stage for when Habakkuk wrote his book, we're going to have a little history lesson. Is everybody okay with that? I, I promise you I'm not going to try to bore you. But if you remember Old Testament history or history from uh, Old Testament Israel, after the time of King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two different kingdoms, right? So there was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And each of these kingdoms had different leaders, uh, different kings over the course of the time of their existence. The northern kingdom of Israel never had a king that was faithful to God. Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah had some that were faithful to God and some that were not. And all around these nations, or all around Israel and Judah, there were these world powers who were emerging on the scene, who were wreaking havoc across the world, coming in, uh, making people pay um, you know, money to be protected by them, or overtaking kingdoms, just some pretty terrible things going on. Um, Egypt was one of those world powers during this time, uh, Assyria, um, Babylon, or what Habakkuk talks about, uh, at least in the translation of the scripture, I'm using the Chaldeans, which is the same as the Babylonians. Um, so all around Israel, these people are coming in and taking over and establishing their dominance. And the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrian Empire around 722 B.C. Because of their idolatry, uh, because of their wickedness, because they didn't turn and repent and follow God, uh, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and essentially take that nation into exile for a long period of time. Amos and Hosea in the Old Testament, those are some prophets who spoke to the northern kingdom, said, repent, turn back to God, or bad things are, gonna, bad things are coming your way. Um, the southern kingdom of Israel lasted a little longer than the northern kingdom. 
Uh, they ultimately fell to the Babylonian Empire sometime around 587 or 586 B.C. And Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Habakkuk, those were some of the prophets who spoke to uh, the southern kingdom to call them to repentance and to call them to come back to God or who announced uh, the impending judgment on Judah for the wickedness and the idolatry um, that the southern kingdom continued to be a part of. And so as we get to the book of Habakkuk, the situation which Habakkuk is facing is this. The Babylonian Empire is growing in strength and the invasion of Judah is imminent. They're on their way in um, at some point in the near future to take over the southern kingdom of Israel and to take God's people into exile. So that's where Habakkuk finds himself. All around, he's seen um, these huge nations just come in and uh, wreak havoc on the people around them to establish their dominance to take over. And in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk does not even mention the possibility that the destruction of Judah could be averted and avoided. Um, That's not what this book is about. He does not call for Judah to repent. But he does predict the destruction of Judah, and beyond that, the destruction of the Babylonian Empire later on down the road. And so when you look at the overall structure of Habakkuk, this is what you see. Stay with me on this, right? I'm I'm going somewhere with this, so don't let me lose you. In the book of Habakkuk, this is what you see. Habakkuk opens, and Habakkuk calls out to God, and he says, all around me in the nation that I live in, There's idolatry, there's wickedness, there's evil, there's injustice, there's a lack of righteousness. God, please do something. God responds to Habakkuk and says, I am doing something. I'm raising up the Babylonian Empire to come in and destroy the nation of Judah. And so Habakkuk responds to God and says, that's not the answer I was looking for, God. I want you to do something, but that's not it. Why would you use an evil empire like the Babylonians to come in and destroy the nation of Judah? And God responds to Habakkuk at that point and says, the Babylonian empire will eventually be destroyed as well. But the reason these things are happening, part of the reason these things are happening is so that in the midst of all of this destruction and terror and evil things that are happening, happening, There's a way for you to find faith in me. There's a way for me to be glorified. And there's a way for you, Habakkuk, to be changed because of what you're hearing from me and the encounter that you have with me. And so when you get to the end of Habakkuk in chapter 3, Habakkuk is a completely changed man. He's no longer whining. He's no longer complaining to God about what's going on. He's gone from protesting protesting God's plan to praising God even in the midst of imminent judgment and destruction. He's gone from confusion to faith. He's encountered God's glory, and he's changed from the inside out, and he's learned to take joy in the God of his salvation regardless of the circumstances around him. That's a big picture book, uh, a big picture for the book of Habakkuk. I think it's important to understand those things as we... um, dive into it. So Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 2 through 4, this is what Habakkuk says. 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is complaining that there's a lack of peace, a lack of justice, a lack of righteousness. Years and years before, the northern kingdom that I mentioned a second ago was judged by God for the very fact that they allowed injustice to exist in their nation. Judah didn't learn anything, and Habakkuk cries out to God here. All of this continues to exist, and this is what God says is going to happen. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5 through 11 Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And like I said a second ago, Habakkuk essentially has called out to God and said, Do something, God, about the violence and the injustice around me. And God says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to come in and discipline Judah. Habakkuk asked God to do something. God said, I am doing something. You just don't see it. You have no idea what I'm doing. I'm at work. And the answer that God gave Habakkuk was not the answer that God wanted. I mean, that Habakkuk wanted. It's hard to see in the moment sometimes what God is up to, right? It's hard to know in the moment what God is doing. And when we cry out to God for an answer, the answer we sometimes get and what God sometimes does is not necessarily the answer that we're looking for. I remember when we started this church 10 years ago or over 10 years ago, um, we rented a theater down the road that seated like 250 people. And I expected us to open our doors, preach a couple of sermons, and in a few weeks, a few months, we'd have 250 people coming to the most awesome church in Augusta. That didn't happen in that first year. In that first year, we had lots of trouble, lots of problems, lots of things to figure out. But it didn't mean that God wasn't at work in our city. It didn't mean that God wasn't at work in our own hearts, leading us toward him, bringing us to him in a way that God wanted to do for us. Here's what I want you to see in the book of Habakkuk, right? God was at work all around Habakkuk, even though Habakkuk couldn't see what was happening. God was at work all around Habakkuk, even though Habakkuk didn't like the answer that God gave him. On a big picture level, God was at work to discipline his people for their sin, but the reason he did that was so that they might be drawn back to him and repentance for their own good and for their own salvation, God was working to do something that would hurt for a little 
while. On a smaller level, though, between God and Habakkuk, God was working within Habakkuk for Habakkuk himself to see that God was already involved, that God had not abandoned his people. It wasn't going to go like he thought, but God had not abandoned his people, and God was at work to do something. He was working to change something on a big picture level for the nation of Israel. But our encounter with Habakkuk, or God's encounter with Habakkuk in the book of Habakkuk, God is at work to change Habakkuk from the inside out. God was working to change something about Habakkuk's heart. God was at work to change something about Habakkuk's faith. Part of the story in the book of Habakkuk is that God was doing something within Habakkuk that God has always been about. God has always been about people's hearts being changed and people coming to him in faith regardless of the circumstances around them. God has always been about leading people to trust him. That's not a new thing. God has always been about the business of changing hearts and drawing people to himself that they might turn and draw others to God as well. Do you remember the story of Abraham when God called Abraham to leave where he lived and to go to a new place? God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing to others. That's always been God's story. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to call you to myself that you might go and bless others. God has always been about the business of changing hearts and drawing people to himself. And that's happening in the book of Habakkuk. While the world around Habakkuk is in utter disrepair, there's terror, there's destruction, and God is judging the nation of Judah, and at the same time, God is working within Habakkuk to instill in him a faith and a joy in the fact that God saves regardless of what's going on. That's what he's doing with Habakkuk. He's drawing Habakkuk to faith for God's own glory and for Habakkuk's joy. Habakkuk eventually gets there. You'll see it in a minute when we get to chapter 3. In verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Moving on, as you go through the book of Habakkuk in uh, verses 1, 13 through 17, um, that's Habakkuk's second response to God. Um, he, he, he says to God, I'm not satisfied that the proud and violent and idolatrous Chaldeans should themselves escape the judgment of God. Habakkuk says to God, they certainly are no more righteous than we are, so why would they escape your judgment? At the beginning of chapter 2, Habakkuk um, says that he takes his stand before God to await the divine response to his protests. And here's what God responds to him. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul, soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. That line, but the righteous shall live by faith or by his faith, should be pretty familiar to you. It shows up three times in the New Testament. It's quoted in Romans 1.17. It's quoted in Galatians 3.11. It's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. 
Moving on in chapter 2 and verse 14, God says, or it's written, uh, what was revealed to Habakkuk is this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In essence, in chapter 2, in answer to Habakkuk's second round of protests, God assures Habakkuk that the pride of the Chaldeans will come to a woeful end, that God's glory will be demonstrated throughout the earth, and that God will provide a way for people to have faith in him. The just shall live by his faith. In Habakkuk 2.14, that's Habakkuk 2.4, in Habakkuk 2.14, where he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here's what I want you to see. In God's response to Habakkuk's second round of complaints, God makes two things very clear. There is a way to be made right with God that's through faith. That's expounded upon in the New Testament. God is at work for his own glory and for his own purposes in verse 214 that we just read. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says this, in relation to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, here's what I want you to see, okay, right? Paul directly connects the gospel to the book of Habakkuk. He quotes from Habakkuk, and he directly connects the gospel to what Habakkuk said. Habakkuk does not tell us explicitly how righteousness and faith are related. He simply says righteous people have faith, and that faith saves them. But we know that the heart of the gospel is this, the righteousness of God, which God requires of us, comes by faith in Christ, and it is made possible for sinners to be rightly related to God because Jesus died for our sins and made a way for us to be right with him. Habakkuk taught us that when judgment comes, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. In the New Testament, in light of the gospel, we see that the reason the just live by faith is that the just are justified by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And we see that God brings all of this about for his own glory for his own sake. In Romans chapter 9, verse 17, Paul is quoting from the book of Exodus. And he says this, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Here's what I'm getting at, right? In the book of Habakkuk, in the New Testament, when Paul connects the gospel back to Habakkuk. In the book of Exodus, when God is bringing his people out of slavery, out of Egypt and into a land of their own, and all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in Augusta, Georgia, in 2016, God is about the business of bringing people to faith in him so that God receives the glory so that people are set aside for God's purposes, so that in essence, they can bless others with the truth of what God is doing and what God is about. God is about the business of bringing people to faith 
and then setting him aside, setting them aside for his own purposes. God creates a community of people for his glory, and he sets them on mission for his glory. God is doing today what he was doing 2,000 years ago and 2,500 years ago and 3,000 years ago and however far back you want to go. God is about the business of bringing people to faith in him just like he always has been. So when we talk about gospel community mission, when we talk about purpose, vision, mission here at Redemption Church, we're not talking about something new. We're talking about something that God has always been doing and that God has always been setting his people aside to do. There's a long gospel legacy of God calling people to himself in faith, setting them aside with a purpose that they might bless others with the truth of who God is and what God is about and God's love and purposes for them. It's a gospel legacy that extends far beyond us. It existed long before we did. It existed long after we will exist. God is about the business of doing with Redemption Church in Augusta, Georgia in 2016 the very same thing that God was doing in the book of Habakkuk and in the book of Exodus and wherever else. God is bringing him, God is bringing us to himself that we might be set aside for God's purposes, that God might use us to bring other people to faith, that God might be glorified and that we might have the joy of God's salvation. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience that changed you? An encounter with a person, an event, a tragedy, something that you knew would change you forever. Maybe it was the first time you realized you loved your spouse and wanted to be married to that person. Maybe it was the first time you held your child. Maybe it was the first time you had to deal with the death of a loved one. Um, some of you guys know my story. On Christmas Eve of 1983, my father tragically passed away. And even as an eight-year-old, right, I was just eight, but I remember being in the hospital and the doctor coming into the waiting room to tell me what had happened. And as an eight-year-old, remembering life is never going to be the same because of this tragedy. I'm sure some of you guys have experienced that. Maybe it was an encounter you had with God, a, a mission trip, a church service, a conversation, something that happened where you realized from now on things are going to be different. From now on, I'm changed because of what has happened. And that's essentially what happens in chapter 3 of the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 3 is Habakkuk's heart response to the big picture story of what God is doing by judging the nation of Judah. At the same time, it's a one-on-one -on -one story of Habakkuk encountering God, coming face-to-face -face with God's glory, and being changed because of that encounter. What we miss in our English translation of Scripture is this. The last chapter of Habakkuk is a psalm. It's a poem. For you folks that were in my hermeneutics class this summer, you know what I'm talking about, right? So next time we do a hermeneutics class, you guys can all be there. But 
the last chapter of Habakkuk is a poem. It's a psalm that's intended to be sung. It's classical Hebrew poetry in the sense that there's symbolism, parallelism. It's intended to be liturgical. It's intended for the congregation to sing together. The very end of chapter 3 tells us that when Habakkuk says, this is for the choir master. It's important to understand the genre there because Habakkuk is intending for something to be communicated, intending for us to respond. This is a record of Habakkuk's emotional response to an encounter with God. And it's intended for us to respond as well. Just listen to some of the response of Habakkuk to his encounter with God's glory. Chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you in your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. 17 through 19, which we read at the beginning of the service, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. No matter how severe the tribulation that Habakkuk is about to face when the Chaldeans invade the land of Judah, Habakkuk finds joy in the God of his salvation. In 16, he says this, verse 16, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk has learned to wait, to be patient. He's learned to trust. He's learned that God goes out for the salvation of his people. He's learned that in wrath, God will remember mercy. He's learned that in God's salvation, there is incredible joy despite the circumstances around him. Even though God has raised a bitter and hasty nation, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Habakkuk is confident that in wrath God will show mercy to those who trust in him and that Habakkuk can rejoice in him alone when all else fails. It's a beautiful picture that no matter the circumstances, we are God's own. No matter how severe the tribulation, God enables his people to trust him completely. And that's the point that Habakkuk came to. Habakkuk came through all that God showed him to the point of responding, saying, God, I recognize that you show mercy. God, I recognize that you enable faith. God, I recognize that you fight for the salvation of your people God, I'm going to wait on what you're doing because I can trust in you. 
In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet has gotten a glimpse of God's glory. And despite the certain suffering that looms on the horizon, he knows that God will be enough. It's quite a progression, right? It's protest to praise. It's confusion to faith. In the book of Habakkuk, we've already seen the gospel truths that God is already at work, whether we understand it or whether we see it or whether we like it or not. And God's work is intended to bring glory to himself, and God's work is intended to inspire faith in his people. That's what God has been about. We can't miss those two things. God is about his glory. God is about bringing people to himself, setting them aside for his purposes that other people might come to know him as well. Here's a final point of emphasis. The final thing we need to see is this. God let Habakkuk in on what he was already doing. God didn't just react to Habakkuk's questions or respond angrily. God was already at work for God's own purposes, and God let Habakkuk in on what was happening. God, in essence, let Habakkuk see what God was up to. God let Habakkuk see God's glory, and Habakkuk ended up being completely changed because of his encounter with God. And like Habakkuk, our response to God's work in our church, in our city, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, in our jobs, and wherever else it may be, should be one of praise that leads us to being changed as God lets us in on what he's already doing. Over the next few weeks as we continue through these series and move towards the Converge event that Brent spoke about earlier, we will be talking more about how we as a church can rearrange our lives around what God is already doing. But this week is really a call to wonder at who God is, to recognize that God is up to something that he's always been about, and to stand amazed that we have been brought into that gospel legacy because of Jesus and because of Jesus alone. We know that God's at work in the lives of people all across our city because God's always been about that. And so, just like in the book of Habakkuk, there's this big story of God being at work And there's this little story of how God is dealing with our hearts to change us, to take us from protest to praise, from confusion to faith, as God allows us to see what he's up to for his glory, for our joy. Let me ask you a few questions as we begin to draw to a close. Are you finding joy in the salvation that God offers? In Habakkuk 3.18, Habakkuk says that he had, are you, Are you finding joy as God is glorified? Because God being glorified is a part of why God was doing what he was doing in the book of Habakkuk. Are you willing to rearrange your life towards God's purposes? Are you willing to cry out for mercy for our city, for our nation, and our world in the midst of unbelievable, terrible circumstances? All around us? Are you willing to seek the salvation of others in as much as God goes out for his own people 
to provide their salvation. And as much as God fights for his own people, like Habakkuk learned in chapter 3. There's some questions in the bulletin for you to follow up with regarding um, the sermon this morning. I would encourage you to take the book of Habakkuk, sit down and read it from beginning to end without interruption at some point today or tomorrow in the very near future. Get a big picture view of what's going on. Let me encourage you to do that. Let me encourage you to dive in um, to what God is teaching Habakkuk and to, in the midst of all of this, examine our hearts in light of what we know God is at work doing and how God would have us rearrange our lives to be a part of what he's already at work doing in our city and all around us. Um, We're going to move into a time of response and close our service together the way we do every Sunday here at Redemption. In a second, the band's going to come back up and they're going to continue to lead us in some songs and give us an opportunity to worship through singing. During this time, as the band leads us in singing, um, you, if God leads you to do so, can sit where you are and reflect on what we've heard from God's word this morning to pray, to grab someone and pray with you. There'll be some folks in the back on either side of the room who hopefully will have on an orange lanyard um, who are willing to, to pray with you if, if that's something you need to do, can explain more about what the gospel is, if that's what you need, whatever it may be. Uh, during this time, we have an opportunity to continue to worship through giving. There's a giving basket in the back where um, you can place your tithes and offerings as an act of worship to God, um, not because we owe God anything, but because everything we have is God's. And uh, when we give back to God, it shows that we are, we are trusting God with what he's, um, with our provision and with taking care of us. And so there's an opportunity to respond by giving. There will also be an opportunity to respond by taking communion. So there'll be some communion servers up here. Um, I would invite you, if you could, to walk down the middle aisle and then go in either direction, tear off some bread, dip it in the wine or juice. And so remember that in doing that, um, we're saying that we believe the gospel is true, that Christ has acted on our behalf, that his blood was shed for us, that his body was broken for us, and he provides a way for us to be right with God. And in taking communion as well, we're proclaiming to one another that we believe um, the gospel. We're, we're believing the gospel, we're remembering what Christ has done, and we're proclaiming to one another that we believe it just by the very act of taking communion. So I would invite you, if God gives you the freedom to do so, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to come and take communion, whether you're a member of this church or not. Um, but in doing so, please remember that in taking communion, what you are saying is, I believe the gospel and I want to proclaim to others that I believe it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move on from there. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had to to be here this morning. God, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for what you did in the life of Habakkuk. Um, And God, I pray that you would do the same things in our lives, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would draw us to a place of faith and belief, that we would respond um, not with protest to what you're doing, but with praise God, that you would use us to be a part of what you're already doing. God, that you might be glorified, that we might be able to experience the joy of your salvation, and so that others might be able to experience the joy of your salvation. God, I pray that we would not hold on to this good news, but that you would use us to proclaim the good news of the gospel. 
that you might be glorified and that people might come to faith in you. God, we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.